listen, listen, listen. People don't listen. Lots of people are just paying attention to the noise you're making, waiting for you to stop so they can say the next thing that they thought about. Hi everyone and welcome to a very special bonus edition of the Edgecast where we are going to talk about mental health in the workplace. We are going to chat to Pete Stevenson, one of our directors, Marjorie Blake Convey, known as Blakey, our chairman, and Eloise Champion, our operations supervisor. We are going to be asking them what makes a happy workplace, and they are going to be opening up about their own experiences with mental health. It is hard to ask for help, and sometimes you need someone to recognise that and really help you let go a little bit and help you acknowledge the extent to which you need help. First up, I sat down with Pete Stevenson, who is one of the directors at The Edge. Pete's work at The Edge is really on the front line. He pitches for films, engages with clients, and heads a lot of our work in the learning space. I started off by asking him what makes a happy workplace. I think it's about positive energy and trying to find time to talk to people, get to know people. Obviously, there are a lot of pressures of work which can get in the way of that, but actually remembering that when you're working on something, even if it is very pressured, it's meant to be fun. We're in a very privileged position to do what we do and make such amazing films for our clients and actually remembering sometimes to have fun and to recognise that there are all sorts of different human beings and different people involved in getting to that end result. I mean, we work very hard here. We work really hard. and There's a lot of um, commitment to get something exceptional out of the projects um, but at the same time we say this should be fun for our clients and we want to make sure that it's actually fun for our people it can't be fun all the time there are pressure moments and there are things that where that happens but it should be fun broadly and we want people to enjoy what they're doing because if you enjoy that then you actually give better results and you get to a better place Next, Pete shared his personal experiences with workplace stress and how he dealt with it. I have a, a story of really running one of our offices for a while remotely and just finding it very, very difficult and finding the pressure really getting to me and affecting my mental health and, and leaving me in a place where I was unable to see the wood for the trees and unable to see kind of what was happening to me. So it took quite a jolt and a change of role to be able to recognise that in myself and develop strategies to cope with it better and, and, and be more centred and say, can stay connected to why I was doing the job rather than being sucked up into the process. I asked Pete if he could share some of these strategies. I work quite hard to make myself not just defined by my work, even though it gets fairly full on at times, and I do quite a lot of meditation just in terms of trying to think about uh, how I respond to pressure and where that takes me. And by recognising some of that, you can alleviate it. I wouldn't say, I would still say I'm on the, on the learner slopes, but you can start to uh, recognise some of those things happening and, and sometimes do something about it. Pete went on to talk about the external help he received. There's a couple of times kind of around my divorce where I've had therapy and, and had sessions with therapists which have been enormously helpful and actually just being able to talk that through and have someone listen and think about how it connects to your past and and the way it evidences itself is, I think, really, really useful. So 
yes, various people have helped me at different times, some people at work, some friends and some professionals. I think I'm quite stubborn and I'm like lots of men, not very good at talking about this stuff. So I think it was very difficult and it was quite late in the day when I was able to face up to the fact that I did need help. And so uh, I think there was, it was probably something that in a way some other people here had to point out to me, you know, this isn't working. How can we help you uh, deal with it better? How can we help change the dynamic? And and it was it did involve a change of role, and it made a big difference to me. And it it made it unlocked a lot of my energy, which I hadn't realised was going into things that were less productive. I think I found it really interesting that Pete's colleagues recognised that he was struggling. I wanted to hear more about his experience receiving help at the edge. I think there's a real sort of family atmosphere here and actually people, we absolutely do care about each other and I know that there have been similar instances the other way around when I've been able to say to someone, you know, I think if you're struggling with these kind of things you might want to think about this and there are certain things I can recommend that have helped me that may work for you. It is hard to ask for help and sometimes you need someone to recognise that and, and really help you let go a little bit and help you acknowledge the extent to which you need help. Um, And I think that's true in large organisations and it's true in small ones as well. It's probably slightly easier to to, uh, effectively deal with that or or create that culture in small organisations, but it's crucial. There's a lot of stigma about talking about this stuff and, and actually I think all sorts of companies here and many of our clients are trying to shift that culture so that it is a positive thing to be able to express vulnerability, to be able to ask for help, to recognise when you're not feeling great and when you might need some support. So I think it's a it's it's a very interesting thing to have gone through from both sides here, but also it feeds into an awful lot of the work we're doing we've we've produced some some great work with network rail in particular in terms of how do you prepare managers for those conversations with people who may be going through personal crises really serious issues and you know how can you help them find the way to to make those conversations easier and more helpful rather than just putting more pressure on people We do a lot of work here at The Edge making films for our clients on the mental health and well-being of their teams. This is specifically Pete's remit. I wanted him to tell us about why the language we use is so important. I think language is very important and I think trying to shift stigma through language and starting to give people uh, licence to to open up, license to be more vulnerable, I think is is phenomenally important. I mean, again, with the network rail example we're talking about, there was just this very simple message. And like all films, if you try to do too much, it doesn't work as well. If you try to land a really simple message powerfully, it can be it can be a real game changer. And with us, it was with this project, it was it was asked twice. If you ask somebody if they're okay the first time, most of us are programmed, probably particularly men, but not just men, are programmed to say, yeah, I'm fine. And if you know somebody isn't fine, asking once isn't enough. So trying to give people that confidence to ask the follow-up question, 
kind of not be too aggressive about that, but just gently show someone you care and really ask them again, no, I'm serious. You don't seem yourself. You don't seem quite yourself. Are you okay? And giving people time and space to open up and talk about what's troubling them. And, and even just that process, I think, is incredibly powerful for that relationship, whether it's manager-employee or peer-to-peer, and it makes a big difference to the person who's, who's struggling. So I think that's a very good example of a single message that film can land in an extraordinarily powerful way that actually change, starts to change the culture within an organisation. I wanted Pete to elaborate on how film can be used as a tool to change the way we manage our own mental health, but also how we at The Edge can use film to change how our clients and society talks about the subject as a whole. I think we're really passionate about this subject at The Edge and some of the work we've done in this space, I think, is is really important and a force for good. So we're, we're very proud of that work and we feel by doing it that we're always learning. We're learning different ways to talk about the subject, different ways to introduce the subject, surprise people with it, get them to question themselves and their own assumptions. So I think... It's it's a journey and it's something you always carry on learning. But I think we have a lot of transferable skills and, and transferable language that's, that we've gained from some of these projects that I think will help us shift the dial and change the culture within other clients as well. So I, I think it's a great subject area to wrestle with and really try and come up with something that is is transformative and when you get it right the real satisfaction is like a lot of our work in something like safety you know you're doing something that that really positively impacts people's lives so yeah it's something we're very passionate about the challenges of managing mental health when you're the person suffering from it are enormous it is like climbing everest some days when you wake up in the morning Next, I sat down to have an informal chat with Blakey, our chairman. She's the one that holds everything and everyone at the edge together. So, what do you think makes a happy workplace? Being properly looked after and cared for and having your voice listened to and knowing your voice will be listened to. And how do you implement that uh, in a workplace? Well, at the same time as caring for people, you have to treat them with respect. The best way you see whether people are happy in their work is, is to walk past them as they're in the process of their work with unwittingly sort of being who they are. And that way you pick up really, really easily. You know, people who are happy in their work are hard to miss. People, and it's not necessarily the work that's making them unhappy. You know, probably a large number of historical problems we've had within the edge about people who have suffered with mental health issues is that they have not had anything to do with the edge but because the edge is a place of safety for them and somewhere they come to and people do talk to them that's where it comes out so you just have to make quite sure that you're 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 monitoring you're looking you're caring about how people are being impacted on by what you're asking them to do how you're asking them to do it where you're asking them to do it so it's just, it's, it's very much um, a leadership role, I think, you know, and, and 
And to, to take the taboo out of mental health, it has to continue to be something that's embraced from the top and people have felt feel very safe in being able to say whatever it is they need to say and how they need to say it. And that's hard because the biggest resistance you have to managing mental health in the workplace is that people don't want to own up about it. After discussing the importance of care and fighting the taboo of mental health, Blakey talked about the effects of ill mental health and identifying it in the workplace. People thrive when they're healthy. And too many people think that focusing on the healthy body is all that matters. And of course, as much as you work out your body, you should be working out your mind. In fact, probably the opposite way around. Because if you are overwhelmed by mental anxiety, you're not so great at going for a walk or having your life in order or remembering to eat the right things. You know, they become very, very vicious circles. So people become disengaged from normality. So that's a sure sign for us when we know people aren't very well. But, but, it's, it, but it's very, very hard for people to just voluntarily walk into, you know, somebody senior to them's office and say, I just need to talk to you because I've got mental health problems. The very phrase, mental health, is a taboo phrase. You know, one in four people have mental illness. You know, it's, it's 15% of people at any one time in an office will be struggling with their mental health. Next, I asked Blakey about the triggers that can cause ill mental health, and specifically the ones that come from the workplace. Bereavement is a big trigger, and as the business grows older, we've had more of that on our plate. But, but there are many other, you know, relationship breakup can be a trigger. And as a young company, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people who join us from university, having been in a relationship all through that time, and suddenly grow into their own space and find that this person they thought they were going to spend the rest of their lives with is no longer the person they need to spend the rest of their lives with, and that can cause lots of empathy. Then, of course, there's also the stuff that occurs because of work. So the main ones being too much responsibility, increased workload. Well, in a film company, that can fluctuate so rapidly that, you know, the HR team is already on red alert because of, you know, the fact that people can get absolutely buried in a project because clients aren't necessarily as supportive as they might be in how they adopt a production timetable. Then there's the financial stuff, you know, people want to be in London because it matters to them to be in London within a profession like this, but at the same time, my goodness me, it costs to be in London. So there's that whole kind of remit, financial anxiety is is really a difficult one. So we try and help people with support and all that sort of stuff whenever they flag that up. And then last of all, which I really, really strongly believe is not an issue here because we regularly check it out, is bullying. But that that happens in lots and lots of other environments. I wanted to ask Blakey if an employee was intimidated or embarrassed about admitting that they are struggling with their mental health issues, how they would go about approaching senior management. Well, we've actually had that situation here. And what we do is, is we find a mentor. We find somebody that they do feel safe to talk to who provides a bridge between the person that, that needs to know about it in order to have the, the, the sort of management ability to get something done about it, to put the, the structures and the support in place, that's got the sign-off, if you like, to make it happen. But what you do is, is you, you find a person, that that, that that person who is poorly and needs the help, can relate to and wants to talk to. It's really, really hard, but I would suggest that there isn't anybody 
that hasn't at some time in their life been through some form of of you know anxiety attack mental health issue you know so if people don't feel safe enough to talk to who they need to talk to in terms of getting the management guidance then we find somebody else for them to talk to what's really really important is if if the if the person's manager isn't alert to it or isn't the person they want to speak to what you have to do is not take offence at that because sometimes it's just simply about making them feel like they've got a bit of space between dealing with what their problem is and protecting the essence of their job. And that's quite important. If that helps the person to get better because they do think that they've been able to put that dividing line in there, then let that, let that be the case. I mean, obviously, ideally, it's far better if they can talk to their line manager but sometimes people just can't. Sometimes it's just a step too far. And the challenges of managing mental health when you're the person suffering from it are enormous. It is like climbing Everest some days when you wake up in the morning. And we know that. You know, we, we've, we've, for such a caring, supportive company, we've had more than our fair share of people who've got poorly. As an employee of The Edge, I often hear our company described as the Edge family. With this in mind, I wanted to ask Blakey how she wanted EDGE employees to support one another with regards to mental health. I come from a really, really strong place where I believe the internal client is the most important person you ever work with or for. Because if you're treating everybody you work with like they're your most important client, then you can't be doing anything else but doing a great job and making everybody else you work with really, really happy. So I would bring that back to if you treat every single one of your colleagues like they are a really, really important client, then you can't go far wrong. My respect for you should be the same level of respect I would show to my most important client, whether I am senior to you or junior to you. If everybody just is polite, kind, listens, listen, listen, listen. People don't listen. Lots of people are just paying attention to the noise you're making, waiting for you to stop so they can say the next thing that they thought about. It's about caring collectively about what you're doing. The person you're engaged with right now is the most important conversation you're having that day. Because if you treat everybody like that, guess what? That's what they'll feel like, that's what they'll behave like, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I wanted to finish up by asking our head of company if she could make a plea for mental health. What would that be? If I was going to make a plea at all about mental health in the workplace... It's a very big demand on, on, on the people who are poorly. And it's, it's that somehow, in the midst of going through what will be a very, very bad time in their lives, is, is to believe, to trust in the people around about them and be honest and tell them what's going on. And it is normal to suffer from anxiety. It is normal to have mental health issues. And until we start treating it like it's as normal as somebody needing a back up or, you know, getting a really severe dose of flu or any of the other things that we can have people off work for with prolonged illness, you know. What, what really matters is that we treat it like an illness in the same way as we would treat a physical illness and we give them the same degree of support, which is what we've always done here. It's about just having the, having the faith to go with it. And if, if those people start believing in they can we can break this taboo, then everybody can break the taboo. And you know, this isn't this isn't a structural thing. It's it, you know, people at the top of the world 
leading the world to suffer from mental health. You know, Churchill, you know, one of the great leaders of our time, Black Dog Days, you know, every single book you read about him talks about his depression, talks about how hard it was for him to keep mentally healthy. So if, if amazing heroes of the 20th century can compete with the, the demands of mental health and still lead a country through all of that amazingness, then, you know, we just need to do the same as him and keep buggering on and get this out of the way and make it be normalised. Because if it's normalised, it's dealt with and that's the quickest way of people getting people back to work healthy and enjoying life again. And doing what it says on the tin, thriving, that's what matters. I think the beauty of being a smaller company is we do have that family feel, so we want to hear about your holidays and we want to hear about your fun weekend away, whereas if you're in a bigger corporate environment, you can just sometimes be a number. Finally, I sat down with Eloise. She is our operations supervisor. Being in human resources, she really has her ears to the ground on this topic. I started off by asking her the golden question, what makes a happy workplace? I think a happy workplace is made up of a friendly environment, so generally just being welcoming. Um, it's also made up of like-minded people. It's a lot easier to communicate with people if you're having a bad day, if you've got common interests. I think one of the most important things with mental health is talking, and that doesn't necessarily mean talking about your upsets or your fears, it's just talking and having a conversation to take your mind off what could else be happening. I asked Eloise to tell us a little bit about her role and how she addresses the issue of mental health in the company. As the operations supervisor at the Edge Picture Company, I am in charge of looking after the team as a whole um, and making sure that they are happy and developing. And as a workforce, you can really help someone with their mental health just by ensuring that they're well rested so encouraging them to take holidays making them feel that it's okay to take a day off um, I think the beauty of being a smaller company is we do have that family feel so we want to hear about your holidays and we want to hear about your fun weekend away whereas if you're in a bigger corporate environment you can just sometimes be a number and if a number isn't in the office the number isn't there to do the job then who else is going to do it whereas with us we're so excited that you've booked a long holiday with your partner and we really want to hear about it and we want to compliment your tan and you know having that to come back to after being rested is a luxury because there's a lot of businesses out there that don't have that and part of my role is to embed that in our staff so especially for the senior bodies yeah you may need so and so to help you with that job but they're on holiday and they're tired because you've worked them to the bone on a shoot so let them have their days in lieu and let them enjoy their break and it's really hard as well when everyone's passionate about their job People don't want to take days off. They don't want to miss out on anything. So I have to remind people that you get so many days holiday because the government decides you need to rest and we have to really push that. And I think that comes from our junior staff all the way through to our senior members. And it's quite hard to track people down and make sure they're resting when they just want to be in the same four walls every day. I wanted to ask Eloise from an HR standpoint, when you've noticed someone is struggling with their mental health, what are the next steps in helping them? I think that asking someone if they're okay is such an open-ended question. Um, but, you know, asking if someone is okay, they may say, yeah, I'm fine. But the fact that you've asked, they know that when they're ready to talk, you're there. 
And then once they do feel ready, we then can sit down and work out if, you know, what's the cause of your stress or your anxiety or your depression or any other kind of health issue you're having, what's the cause and can we lighten your load? I think the most important thing as HR is to know people's workload. You know, are we overworking people? Are we underworking people? Are people coming into work and they feel they're not being utilised because, you know, it's a flip side to being overworked as there is to being underworked because if you don't feel utilised, you have too much time to think and then you have too much time to overthink and you start to think that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough and it's just that reassurance. So asking, are you okay? You know, how's your day going? What are you up to today? Do you need some extra support? It's open-ended questions that allow staff members to let you know how they're feeling and I think having such a small close-knit group it may be that they don't feel comfortable telling me but there'll be someone they can tell and then eventually that will come down the kind of rabbit hole and then I can step in and say actually you know you've got more time on your hands why don't we get you on a project for someone else why don't we get you trying this what are your interests what would you like to be involved in can you help anyone else and so it's just really making sure that people are busy enough to not overthink but not overwork that they're then drained the issue with managing people's workload is knowing what they can and can't handle if someone is quite shy and more of an introvert they may not necessarily ask for more work and then they may have a lot more time on their hands which can kind of take them to a place where they may feel that they're undervalued or they may feel that you know they're not satisfied with the work they are doing which in the, in the long term, as a business, by us not fulfilling their potential, we could then end up losing a really good staff member because we just didn't ask them if, you know, they want to try something new. And I think it's the same on the other side of that, is if people are constantly yes people and they'll just keep taking on work and taking on work, we could eventually burn them out rather than kind of pausing and saying, right, let's have a look at your workload and together let's manage this together. And I think that's a lot of what we do here is it's a constant, do you need more support? Do you feel you've got enough time? Do you feel you're being overworked? Do you feel you're being underworked? It's There's an always a time to ask the question and it's probably a weekly conversation I have with our staff is, you know, what's your schedule look like today? What's your schedule look like this week? Have you got time for a bit more? Do you feel like you're okay? Are you sinking? You know, how do you feel? And it's a constant open-ended conversation, which I hope if they was feeling overwhelmed, that could lead to another conversation which... Could then we could support them in a different way. I really like the idea of mental health being an ongoing conversation and I wanted to know how Eloise would recommend staff support their fellow team members. I think we're really fortunate at The Edge that we have quite an organic, um, organic way of working and by that I mean that most of our staff members have been here from an early age and have kind of worked their way up. So what that means is that we know each other's behavioural traits quite well and we're very sociable. So, you know, we're often in each other's environments that aren't necessarily these four walls. So it's important that we are aware of common symptoms with mental illness that if people are, their behaviour changes slightly and that could be that they are running running in late a lot more um, or they're staying late a lot more. Um, it could be that they seem a lot more tired their eating habits change, they they don't care as much about their appearance as maybe they did before, or they start to care too much about their appearance. I think the main thing is, is that we, we know each other. We take the time to get to know each other so that when them flags start to show, 
we're prepared. We know that, you know, that person doesn't normally stay that late. Normally they have to catch their train. Is there something going on at home? Do they not want to go home? They're coming in really early. Have they have they been home? You know, it's it's knowing people and really spending the time to build them relationships so that you are a support network. You, they can come in here and know they're safe and they know they can talk and it's friendly and they're not going to be judged because we know each other so well that you just walk into a room and you know, oh, they're not, they're not, they're not themselves. Let's, let's make a cup of tea and have a chat. Eloise then shared some of the strategies we use at The Edge to promote good mental health. One of the best things I've learned about um, those that have mental health is that they like to have things in the pipeline. And by that, I mean they like to have goals to kind of aspire to. And then goals don't necessarily mean they want to buy a house or they want to buy a car. It can just be that, you know, I got out of bed this morning. And that's an achievement in itself. So what we like to do here is have lots of mini celebrations monthly. So we would always celebrate each other. And by this, we will have regular socials. So we organised a rounders match um, over a local park, which meant that after work, people could let off steam. Exercise has been proven to benefit your mental health. It stimulates your brain and you can feel more positive and it worked. You know, we had a lot of people socialising together, senior members of staff with junior members of staff that suddenly were really competitive about a sport that no one even realised they were going to be competitive. And it meant that when they came into the office on Monday morning, oh, did you have fun at Rounders? Did you have, you know, how did you think we got on? Did you see the pictures? It's another conversation. By us having events and things to look forward to, people can talk about it. What are you going to wear to that event? Oh, are you going, you know, will you be there straight from work? Are you going to go there? How are you getting home? Should we travel home together? There's lots of things for people to talk about that aren't just work-related. It comes back to that, you know, work well, play well, that sort of situation that we work really hard. So we want people to know that as a company, we're really encouraging them to go out and have a good time. And we'll even put some money behind the bar to encourage it. Being a London office, it's really easy to just say, let's go to the pub. However, not everyone drinks, not everyone wants to go to the pub after work. So what we really try to do with our socials is make them as inclusive as possible. You know, there will be games, but there will also be fun kind of tarot card reading, face painting, things that don't involve alcohol, things that are just a little bit of a giggle. And I think it's really important, and where a lot of companies do miss the mark, going to the pub is great, but actually playing a game of Twister with someone that you're not that close to really does open a new level of friendship. We are really fortunate that we have such a diverse workforce here. So we really want to ensure that nobody ever feels left out. And there's always an activity for someone, whether that be a book club, a film club, a a dinner out together. It's important that there's something for everyone. And it's really, really inclusive and an open environment where people can just talk and get to know each other. Thank you for listening to our conversations from The Edge about mental health. I hope you found this bonus episode interesting and insightful. In this episode, we've heard real stories about facing mental health issues, we've talked about how we can help, and we've discussed approaching mental health issues as you would a physical health issue. Thanks also to our contributors, Pete Stevenson, Marjorie Blake-Convey, and Eloise Champion. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to get new episodes of The Edgecast, our latest films, and indispensable industry insights straight to your inbox. Listener.